Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks for tuning in here for this episode of the podcast. It's Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. We are just two weeks from Election Day, which is November 2nd, when the new class of city elected officials will be chosen. And absentee balloting has already begun. Early voting coming up October 23rd through the 31st. It's time to vote. Uh, along with all the seats in city government on the ballot this year, there's also five ballot questions on state constitutional amendments. So be ready to vote yes or no on those. And we have you covered on that and much more at Gotham Gazette. So check out what you need from us there. And if we don't have it, you can certainly look to other resources like electnyc.org and other places, of course, with lots of information on some of the most important races, candidates, and much more. And like I said, do read up on those ballot questions because they are important. So today on the podcast, we're looking ahead and we're looking back at this monumental city election cycle. In just a moment, my conversation with Chris Coffey, who leads the New York and New Jersey practice for Tusk Strategies, a consultancy, a lobbying firm. And Chris, of course, was a co-campaign manager and key architect of Andrew Yang's run for mayor. Prior to joining Tusk, Bradley Tusk's firm, uh, Chris worked for Mayor Michael Bloomberg for basically the entirety of the Bloomberg three terms as mayor, his electoral campaigns, and in other ways. Chris is a veteran of city and state politics in more ways than I just mentioned. So we're about to get into a lot about city and state politics with Chris Coffey in just a minute, including some retrospective on the Yang campaign, as well as what's ahead here with a likely Eric Adams mayoralty, the developing race for governor, which is really upon us already, the primary being in June 2022. So that's that's already happening. The race to be the next city council speaker and much more. First, though, if you've missed any recent episodes of the podcast, find Max Politics wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. We have all the episodes there as well, of course. I've had some really interesting recent discussions on New York politics and government with state leaders like Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, Assemblymember Catalina Cruz, Senate Deputy Leader Michael Gennaris, and more. And at the city level, I've been speaking with several of the city council members who are hoping to be reelected uh, in the elections that are happening now and then be chosen by their colleagues to be the next speaker of the city council. More of those will be coming in that series. But I've already spoken recently with Keith Powers, Carlina Rivera, and Justin Brannon. And I'll be having the other council members hoping to be the next speaker of the city council on the show soon to talk about some of their government work, but also generally how they're thinking about what it means to be the next speaker, what their pitch is to their colleagues and future colleagues, and so on. So that's just a sample of the recent episodes we've had here at Max Politics. Check out one or more. Uh, there's a bunch of other good discussions I didn't even mention there, but that's enough of pitching you on other discussions. Let's talk with Chris Coffey. Chris, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm happy to chat with you finally. I think um, there was a whole lot more this summer that I wanted to get to, uh, you know, reflecting on the mayoral primary and, and looking ahead. And then all of a sudden we had a governor resigning and a lot of attention got shifted to the state level. So it's really good to catch up with you now. Um, 
So that's okay. That's okay. I think I needed the time to, to, I needed like to get over the mini, uh, you know, any traumatic stress that I had from the mayor's race. It's nice to have time to reflect probably, probably better to come on now anyway. Oh, good. All right. Well, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's always good to have a little time. We don't, we don't get enough time to, you know, reflect <laughs> and, and, and have a little time in between having to really, um, you know, take stances on things or talk about things. Um, all right, so a lot we will, a lot I want to ask you about, but we're we're talking here just two weeks before election day. So before we look back, um, unless you think otherwise, it seems pretty obvious. Eric Adams, you know, is the very heavily favored next mayor of New York City. It would be uh, a shocking upset, the likes we of which we've never seen for Curtis Sliwa to to pull this off. I would I would uh, ascertain. How are you sort of thinking about? Eric Adams and where he's at and what you've seen from him and, and him sort of taking this enormous step up to becoming, you know, mayor of the city of New York. Um, I think it's been impressive. I mean, I think there, there are different ways that folks who all of a sudden are in a lesser office and then out of almost nowhere, they're put into the spotlight where they're making decisions every day or announcing their position on things that will ultimately be decisions every day that have huge consequences that didn't have consequences before. And how people handle that um, is what really matters. And um, Eric, to his credit, has uh, stepped up and uh, and and made a bunch and, and not been afraid to make some uh, some decisions, uh, announce his intention on things uh, like you know whether it's gifted and talented or whether it's sticking to some of his tougher positions on police and public safety. Um, and I think he's done it in a way. Now, listen. On the flip side, none of these things have uh, you know when 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 you're not overseeing direct policy just yet, um, you don't you don't get the downside of any of these decisions. But so far. Um, I think he's done a pretty good job of being out there, um, being out talking about New York and talking about getting people back. Uh, I, I was at an event with him last week where he held the crowd. You know, there were, I don't know, four or 500 people outdoors, uh, and you could have heard a pin drop there. And he was really, really good. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly an exciting time, and folks should be rooting for him. And I think he's done a nice job. What do you see as the most important ways that he could be a shift from the de Blasio years, obviously, um, you know, you being part of the, the Bloomberg orbit, uh, the Yang orbit, you know, you know, you, you've had, uh, issues with, you know, Bill de Blasio in some ways, obviously a lot of issues with Eric Adams. Uh, so you have some interesting perspective here, but what's your, you know, how, what are you thinking and telling people who, you know, don't follow this and are involved with this uh, like we are about what you're sort of hoping for from Eric Adams or expecting from him as a different type of leader for this city? So I think de Blasio's biggest challenge was he wanted to be the inequality mayor, which he equated to also being um us against them, like business against not business. He wanted to demonize um, folks in the business community, folks that are creating jobs, while in, in the name of fighting inequality. Whereas Eric Adams wants to fight poverty, but but also wants to figure out how to create 
more jobs and how to and, and is not, you know, is at least signaled he's not going to ostracize huge communities in New York that are that are hiring people, that are bringing people back to work, that are making decisions about whether or not they want to be in New York. He's not going to go after them for the sake of going after them. I'm sure there'll be places they disagree. I'm sure there'll be places where he wants, you know, X and they want Y. But for the most part, he has said we want those folks here. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference in kind of tonal shift uh, from de Blasio uh, to what will be Adam. So now you have folks in the business community who are, I mean, the bar was really low, but I think even if the bar wasn't low, um, they would be excited about Eric Adams. Uh, and I think that, that that has been, especially after COVID and or in the middle of COVID and folks deciding whether or not they're going to stay here, that's a big deal. The controller had a report today that said $111 million less in the city budget because people are working remote and, and less people are here and more people are deciding to be elsewhere. Um, and so you have to figure out how to replicate New York's great success, get people back to the theater, get people back to uh, doing uh, what makes New York great. I think we've seen a lot of that this summer. And I think Eric is going to se- seems like he's really going to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps on the flip side of, of this possibility, which does seem promising for Eric Adams to be something of a of a leader for everyone who is, you know, not really sort of dividing people, even though he seems to be, you know, very pro-business and pro-development in some ways, but also is, uh, seems to be at least talking a lot about, you know, lifting people up and, you know, and reducing the, the vast inequalities that exist in the city still, of course. Um, on the flip side of that is something that you raised in the Yang Yang campaign, which is that, you know, Eric Adams is kind of part of a machine and he's kind of, you know, got a way of, of, of doing things that seems to be, you know, that he, he, he wants to sort of reward, uh, people that, you know, have helped him out. And he's, you know, he's got a little bit of this sort of, um, you know, entrenched, you know, sort of machine thinking and that there's issues with, you know, there's questions about that. And then um, in conjunction with that, there's also questions about, you know, how honest he is and, and, you know, the residency issues are a piece of that, but there's much more to it than that and questions around sort of his ethics and his honesty. And when you merge all that from where I sit, you know, in the media where we've watched Bill de Blasio and his struggles, you know, there, there's some there's some troubling similarities that seem to be there. What is your take right now on sort of those warning flags or concerns about how he might lead the city? Well, I mean, a lot of the, we, you know, some of the questions, first of all, it was an election and you're always looking for contrast with folks. So, um, a lot of the things that you mentioned, folks decided on, right? I mean, not, not the, the residency issue for sure uh, was aired a lot. Uh, and, you know, the, the day after the issue was raised, the Daily News on the front page came out and said uh, family values and made it, made it a pro-Eric issue that, uh, that, you know, whatever the issue was, that they weren't sure, you know, that he lived in the basement of, of, of the building. So I think folks... It wasn't like no one knew that folks in the primary decided that. And then by, you know, I don't know, 80 percent to 20 percent in the next couple of weeks on Election Day, they're going to decide it again. Um, now, that doesn't mean that none of those things are causes for some concern. No, Nobody is uh, certainly no one's perfect, uh, but we'll see how he 
how he actually operates as mayor uh, and what the actual decisions that he makes are going to be. Um, I do think he'll have more rope than de Blasio. De Blasio went out of his way to make enemies uh, in the name of, um, you know, uh, us against them and, you know, fight, you know, and so I, I don't think Adams will operate that way. I don't think Adams wants to make lots and lots of enemies. I think he wants to try to be in a place where um, both on his base uh, and then uh, on the on the more, uh, you know, in, in, in a sort of pro-business folks and the more moderate outer borough white folks, like you can, there's a bunch of different constituencies, people of color, uh, you know, including black and Latino, like you, he has just made an effort to really uh, create like a rainbow narrative around him. And so being being someone who's throwing bombs and looking to antagonize and looking to uh, mix it up doesn't really fit into that. And I think as a result, you know, if you're if you're if you're growing jobs and you're doing things that um, where more folks are happy more of the time, and again, that's that's an assumption. We'll see what he actually does as mayor. This is all based on what he's doing is almost quasi mayor elect, uh, or at least the Democratic nominee. But if he's if he's doing these things, I think he'll get more rope on, on some of these issues. Like he's going to be in Gracie Mansion, right? The residency thing won't really be an issue. He's going to be at City Hall. He's not going to be at Borough Hall. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, there's always an adjustment that people are going to make when they're going from, you know, city job X to mayor. And I'm sure no matter who the next mayor was, is, um, any person would have had to make some big changes and how they operate and how they make decisions. It's, it's no longer just you, right? Now you're running a whole city. You've got a police commissioner. Decisions have to be made in a probably a slightly more transparent way. And I think they'll be fine and they'll figure it out. I mean, that's, I remember the Bloomberg first hundred days, like you figure it out. Um, what are the biggest, yeah, th- th- that's actually the next question I wanted to ask you is in terms of sort of getting into office and the, and then transition both from your experience and watching de Blasio, um, what are the biggest areas that can catch somebody up, uh, you know, that could really trip up a new mayor? Um, You know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot in terms of, uh, you know, how Eric Adams could perhaps differentiate himself from the de Blasio years is, you know, when you set an early tone around things like being frank when you mess something up and admitting it and trying to talk about how to move on from it instead of trying to spin everything or not admit that you failed on something. You know, these types of sort of tonal and stylistic things that speak to leadership and government and running the government well, it's not just optics. Um, Is it me? Am I wrong in thinking the way that you set that tone is so, so important? Because once you start down the wrong path, it's really hard to change it. You know, it's really hard to like start by obfuscating and being very political in your decisions and spinning a lot of stuff and then sort of turn that around eventually. Like once you kind of start that as your administration style, I think it's pretty hard to turn it around. Do you agree? Disagree? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I I remember uh, in 2000, I want to say 2002 early 2003 maybe there was the flash grenade incident where the cops you know barged into i think it was anita spriel's house and and it was the wrong house they had a warrant but they were in the wrong house they did the flash grenade and she died uh and ray kelly went to the funeral 
and apologized. Uh, and Mike Bloomberg apologized. I don't think at the funeral, but I think he apologized pretty publicly and said, this was our fault. Uh, we, we own this. The tonal shift was so different from Rudy that it was like, you know, it, it was just a huge shift be, be, because of that tonal difference. Now, I think one thing is like, you're always compared to your predecessor, right? So, um, you know, for instance, you know, Corey Johnson, when he took over in 17, was compared to de Blasio a lot, right? He was like the anti de Blasio, um, even though he was speaker and was mayor. Adams is going to be compared on all of this stuff to, to de Blasio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he'll get the benefit of a press corps uh, that is very, very jaded with, with Bill de Blasio, um, many of whom are just sort of over it. And, and, and that goes for the public as well, right? Like, I think a lot of the public sees a lot of this stuff and there's some eye rolling, some, some mostly fairly, some occasionally unfairly. Um, and so Eric will have this ability to be a huge contrast on a lot of this stuff. Um, by the way, even when de Blasio would say it was his fault, it was never his fault, right? It was like, oh, well, my oh, staffer shit. left this under the pillow and I didn't know about it. And <laughs> like, they don't want that either, right? Like that, to me, that was almost worse. Uh, like, I remember he missed the boat to get to the place and like you know it's like oh but my staff heard it no and my head is like oh my god you know like you just have to say i made a mistake like i i mike, mike bloomberg uh you know his second week in office uh didn't know about a fire funeral like he i, I think he legitimately did not understand that the mayor either, either he didn't understand the mayor goes to every fire funeral this was right after 9-11 they were still doing all the, the 9-11 funerals or he just like the fire department hadn't told him that the mayor, like, who knows? Some people, you don't know everything about the ins and outs of what the mayor does all on the first day. Um, and, and Mike might have had a bigger learning curve in some ways because he wasn't coming from government. Eric Adams, I assume, would know that. But there'll be things he doesn't know. Um, and so he didn't, he missed the funeral. And it was like a really, it was a front page for two days. He's anti-fire. The police, the fire union is hitting him. You know, and Mike is having a heart attack. Like, I'm not anti-fire. How did we, how did we not go to this funeral? Like, what is wrong mm-hmm. with you? But he didn't go out and blame his schedule. He went out and said it was my fault i'll take the hit i'll be at every funeral from now on and i think people like that and 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 i'm not saying that mike was perfect on everything at all just using the first kind of the first year as the tonal guide to um certainly at least his first term um and you know the the first 60 days first 100 days is, is really really important yeah um, yeah, a lot, a lot to, to chew on there. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about sort of the lessons of the de Blasio years and how, you know, Eric Adams has an opportunity to correct a lot of that. And I think you're right about the, the press and, and, you know, others more broadly who, especially those who pay close attention, even those who don't, you know, um, uh, it's, you know, it'll also be interesting how these final months and de Blasio's efforts to sort of shape the narrative around his two terms would be very interesting. Um, uh, so before we get into any more of that, let's, let's look back a little here. Um, you have now had some months, as you mentioned, to reflect on the, on the primary that was, what are you thinking about? What, you know, takeaways, what regrets, um, what, what things about New York politics or politics in general were either reinforced for you, especially, or anything change your thinking on New York politics or politics more broadly? Um, what have you been thinking about? Is there a past feature? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think that I haven't really. I can get is, more specific. You want me to ask more no, specific no, no. questions? Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's a it's very okay. open-ended question. Yeah. That's okay. You know, it's a tough question in a way, because I think there's a lot of things. I think, 
we ran a pretty good race, especially in the first few months. We took someone who was not, um, had not spent a lot of time in city government and was not intimately familiar with city government and got him to a place where he was doing, you know, hundreds of Zoom forums and going every night to two, three, four forums and speaking really intelligently most of the time on any given issue. Um, but you know, he wasn't steeped in New York City. The, the, the biggest macro question that I ask myself all the time is like, should we have just not tried to be a politician, not gone for endorsements, not gone? For, should we just like let him be him? Like, you know, you're not going to be the expert on 50A. You're not going to don't even like, you know, we're rolling out like policy ideas every day that um, some of them were amazing and other, you know, and, and but, but they're all kind of like trying to make him a city politician. And, and that was a strategic decision. It was, it was my and his and, and the campaign's strategic decision. So I don't mean to, like, I'm not pointing any fingers, but that's a big macro question that I have. And then the other thing is, you know, Eric ran a really good campaign. Um, he was from Brooklyn, the base of Brooklyn voted for him. He had worked really hard in the African-American and a lot of other communities. They voted for him. Uh, and, you know, Andrew went into the Jewish community and did really well, especially with Hasidic Jews, where we, where we won handily and then in the Asian community, but never had a base outside of that. The base that we had outside of that when the campaign started was young, um, somewhat progressive white people. And um, the moment that you take on some of those issues, uh, where it turns out that Andrew is more moderate around policing, around Israel, around other things, um, it it's like your two bases are at loggerheads. So Eric's two bases, if if not more, Eric has like, you know, a, a, a black base. He also has kind of moderate white people, out of borough white folks, and they uh, are aligned or were aligned, are aligned on on public safety, for instance. Mm-hmm. Right. We need we need cops that are more fair, but we need to get crime down. Um, prosperity. Pu- public safety is the key to prosperity, as he says. So in that sense, his bases base was aligned. Our base, which was, you know, young white people and um, Hasidic Jewish people and Asian folks were not aligned. Right. Um, and so that was kind of a fundamental problem that I think we have uh, and didn't couldn't really figure out how to answer. Um, and um, but I, I, you know, I um, the, the, the other thing about the race, you know, the, the press around the race was, you know, I it's not to pick on people. It's not. To, but there were something like 28 or 29 New York Times stories about Andrew Yang uh, in the first five months of the race. Um, and in that time they did zero. I think the first story, I I used to know this by heart. The first story they did on Eric Adams was like the last week of April. And it was a Ruben Diaz endorsed Ruben Diaz Jr. Endorsing him. Um, and then they did, you know, they had like one or two hard hitting pieces, one kind of in-depth piece and one piece on some of the fundraising stuff. Um, but didn't really cover Eric in any meaningful way until June. Um, and then, you know, the, the biggest, you know, if you said like, what's the thing, if you could do any one thing differently, I'm not sure how to answer that. But one of the finalists would be, I would have worked, I would have made it priority number one to get the New York Post endorsement. That's like what, I would have. You remember, I, I, you remember I asked you right before the primary day, you did one of those Friday uh, yep. debriefs. And, and I asked you and you said that very frankly, if I knew, you know, if I knew how powerful the post would be, I would have gotten. Yeah, I really would have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, you know, 
I think we, I, I, you know, you, you're always using the last campaign as your guiding post. And I think one of the examples for this is, is not to do that. Like, don't, don't think 20, 2021 is going to be 2013. Yes. Right. So the post in 2013 didn't matter. The times didn't matter. Chris Quinn got the ball and yeah. she came in fourth, right? Like it, it just didn't matter. But just because it didn't matter in 2013 doesn't mean it's not going to matter in 2021. And all of them mattered. I mean, the times really mattered, right? The times endorsement um, helped, uh, you know, was one of the reasons Catherine Garcia did so well, one of the reasons Brad Lander did so well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the post endorsement really mattered, not because necessarily there's there's you know thousands of people out there waiting for the post endorsement, but because the post coverage fundamentally was different from then on. There was no negative Eric Adams stories every day. There was a negative Andrew Yang story until they thought they'd killed Yang, and then there were negative Maya stories and negative Garcia stories. Um, and if you can't get stories into the post, and you can't really get stories into the Daily News because the Daily News was also, even though they had endorsed Garcia. They were very, very pro Adams. And I already used the example of after the residency, the day of the residency issue, the next day, Eric was on the front page of the sun crying and family values. It was a great piece for him, really a terrific piece. So if you can't get pieces in the post and you can't get pieces in the daily news and the Times isn't really covering um, the hard parts of the race, um, then you know, I think Politico did a really nice job at the race. I think the city did a nice job at the race. Certainly Gotham Gazette. There were times where Gotham Gazette did a really nice time with the race. But, you know, as you know, like without the Post, the Times, the Daily News, TV generally follows at least one or two of those. Uh, and without those, it's just hard to get your message out. Uh, yeah. And it's hard for... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you know, it's, it's definitely not a comfortable situation for me, you know, here to, you know, have you criticizing colleagues. I obviously, you know, don't keep a running tally of the post stories, the daily news stories, the time stories, you know, I, I, I am, my instinct is of course to stick up for colleagues at those publications, uh, you know, and so I'm not going to debate it with you. Um, I, you know, I will agree generally that the, you know, the scrutiny of Eric Adams came, came on the later side. Um, but that's also when a lot of voters were really starting to tune in. Um, and there were some, you know, some tough pieces on him in a variety of, of publications. Um, I don't have the, you know, I don't have the tabloid records in front of me. Well, you, me, you won't, right? you won't find one in the post. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, but, um, and I, but I don't but think me, you'd find one in the daily news. Yeah. Let, 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 but let me ask you this. When you go back to what you were saying about trying to cobble together the map of yep. um, an Andrew Yang victory, what I thought all along and continue to try to wrestle with is I don't know how he ever was going to really get how you guys were going to ever really get there with unless you were going to really chip into um, the voter, you know, uh, some chunk of the voters that wound up going with Eric Adams, particularly in Latino communities. Right. We, uh, we, we, want, yeah. we wanted to do better with Latinos mm -hmm. for sure. There was no clear Latino, there was no Latino candidate except for Diane Morales, who was, who was really appealing more to progressive folks, not that, you can't be both, but she wasn't spending a ton of time in Latino areas. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to do better with Latinos, A. B, um, for most of the election until early May, um, Andrew was far and away ahead in Manhattan. 
So now we all know, right? Catherine Garcia surged, Maya Wiley surged. Yep. Um, and so they ended up being, you know, if you went to the upper, as I'm sure you did, if you went to the Upper West Side, you know, on Sunday before Election Day when we were doing early voting, you almost couldn't find anyone that wasn't voting for Catherine Garcia or for Maya Wiley. Um, but well, if you did that a month earlier, a few stringer voters there still, yeah. A few stringer voters, yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. Uh, if you did that a month earlier, uh, six weeks earlier, for sure, you had a ton of Yang vote. People just, you know, now Catherine hadn't risen. And so, uh, and Maya, you know, was still, was, was struggling back then. Um, now others would argue that those folks weren't engaged enough, but they were consistently open to voting for Yang. Certainly if you went to Stytown where Yang would get mobbed at Stytown, you know, um, we, we were the, we were also kind of the Manhattan character, Manhattan, uh, Manhattan, um, candidate, sorry. And, and we, for, you know, a bunch of mistakes that we made, uh, we kind of cost that Manhattan. Now, maybe you can't be the Manhattan candidate if the times sort of hates you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we could have, we would never, we weren't going to be the upper East side candidate without the times, but I think we could have kept Stytown and lots of other parts of Manhattan um, if we had just not made a series of mistakes that yeah, what, we made. What are, those, what are those mistakes? Well, I, I, you know, I mean, he, he, he fumbled on 50A, which I don't, you know, he knew exactly what police transparency was. He just didn't know the acronym. And again, when you're learning this stuff from scratch, I'm sure, I'm sure most of your listeners know what 50A is and he knows the issue on 50A, but just didn't know the, like the terminology of 50A. Um, and again, when you're learning a lot of this stuff from scratch, filling your head with hundred percent knowledge on running for mayor is, is a challenge. Um, and I think he did, I actually think he did a great job because, you know, again, in just to, to the first week of December, when he was not thinking about running for mayor, he doesn't know all the local issues sure. and outs. It's not something, you know, it's just not something that he'd been focused on. He's a good manager and a smart guy, but not someone who was focused on running for mayor. Um, and by the way, Mike, I mean, Mike Bloomberg spent a year before he ran for mayor, you know, meeting with experts and learning, you know, learning the city budget and learning the ins and outs. Andrew basically did that in six weeks. But I guess that gets at sort of one of the questions around his candidacy was like, was he at all ready to be mayor of New York City or, or you know, I think ready and qualified are sort of, you know, uh, not the same thing, but they overlap, right? And you could say, you know, in a lot of ways, someone like Mike Bloomberg was was qualified, but needed to really get ready, you know. And Andrew Yang, I think there were there were ser- serious questions about both, and he's doing this crash course, and it was a really big leap of faith that you guys were asking voters to to take. Yeah, I mean, I think. I, I don't buy the idea that you have to be um, entrenched in government bureaucracy to be mayor. And I don't say that as someone, I say that as someone who's worked in government bureaucracy and is not an insult to anyone who does. I just think all sorts of people, you're, you're asking for a leader who's going to be smart and make really good decisions. Um, now, people ultimately decided that that was not Andrew Yang. But the idea that you have to be, um, you know, the Queensboro president to be mayor, I just don't buy. And I, and I but, but, but you know, saying, but, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that was, I think, 
I don't know that you have to know what 50A is to be mayor. By January 1st, you'll know what 50A is and you'll make good decisions or you won't. But, um, and, I, and I'm not, I don't, I don't really mean I'm excusing it because I'm admitting these mistakes that we, that we made and 50A was one of them. And, you know, he didn't know the subway, but the, uh, the MTA capital budget uh, when he was making uh, an MTA announcement, and that was the day before, the string of mistakes were all in the same week. It was like MTA capital budget, which, by the way, ninety nine point nine percent people don't know, but that's okay. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, he said something about shelters, like we should get more domestic violence shelters. I think was the yeah, or it was you're, 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 you're bringing me back to my PTA. <laughs> no, you need we need more family shelters or something. And you know, he just yeah. he made mistakes. You know, I mean, they're they're not necessarily his mistakes. They're the campaign's mistakes, and and I take responsibility for for my part in them. And you know, voters decided and they picked Eric, and off we go. But there were a little bit of of sort of confirming. You know, it, as, as far as you know, I could tell those mistakes were sort of more just revealing the truth than they were. You know, some, I guess. They're, 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 let me put it this way: there there are other candidates running. Um, who have pedigrees in government, who I think wouldn't get some of those questions. I mean, by the way, I think it's a bigger deal that someone says that the average house in Brooklyn costs $100,000 <laughs> and, and really doesn't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's, that's like, that's a common sense question. Mm-hmm. That's like an am I out of touch question. And so to me, if you think the average house in Brooklyn where you live costs $100,000, like to me, that's a bigger deal than not knowing the acronym for 50A. Now you could argue they're both big deals, and I don't mean to—I don't mean to minimize 50A because again, I, he really did know the issue of—he uh, he knew the issue. He just didn't know the the acronym, but right. he should have known both. Um, and I'm not—I'm not really trying to minimize it. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. There's a lot of good questions that make up what a good a good mayor will be, and I think there are other folks in the race who had their own set of challenges, but I I mean, listen, you're totally right. Like the, you know, the idea that people would throw almost like, you know, quiz questions about, you know, specific government related items at, you know, even someone like Maya Wiley was much less likely than, than Andrew Yang. Again, you know, a lot of that's based off of just, you know, the sort of resumes in front of people saying like, Oh, we got to, you know, kind of kick the tires on this guy a little bit more, but it is true that, you know, I mean, I'm always shocked uh, how often people who are current elected officials don't seem to know about, you know, certain certain policies or what government is doing and, and so on. But, um, you know, but but that that you, you're saying like that narrative about a lack of sort of preparation and knowledge really hurt you, you think, in Manhattan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, I think that's OK. You know, I think. That's why you have elections. Mm-hmm. What um what did you make of um you know I listened to it at the time I listened back uh, in preparation for this conversation you know Andrew Yang did his um, podcast you know his own podcast with the reflections at the end of June we still didn't know for sure the outcomes because of the ranked choice voting tally but you know we we more or less knew and he had his assessments of the race he he pointed to several things. Uh, that you pointed to, especially how the media treated him. Um, how, how was your sort of relationship with him in the aftermath of this race? I mean, is this something where, 
you, you know, this sort of crash and burn and you guys really, uh, you know, had a rough, uh, sort no, of, we, yeah. we have a good relationship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, there were some folks, there was a story that came out at like 9.07 on the night of election day sure. that said there were a couple of presidential folks who were unhappy with the campaign. And then they had some specific grievances, like we tried to join the campaign, but we were never welcome or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no idea. Like, I don't know what to say about that. There was, there was never anyone that I heard of who was trying to join the campaign from the presidential that was offering so maybe they went somewhere else and offered someone else but that was just one that i i had never heard before mm-hmm. um and there were some other kind of specific things in there about dave Chappelle and other right. and other stuff that was like you know for, first i'd heard of it but in terms of andrew and, and by the way the people behind that story were not staffers on the mayor's race the people that they quoted were former presidential staffers that they said were not allowed on the mayor's race so right that um, was hunter, you know hunter walker's uh, that was hunter walker's yeah. piece yeah. yeah and so you know a lot of that just about everything in that piece was news to me and and did not seem like a thing that anyone on the campaign had ever spent any time talking about. The biggest Um, critique in that piece, though, is something you already said, which is this question of sort of let Yang be Yang a little bit more and not try to sort of turn him into a more classic New York uh, mayoral candidate. Yeah, I mean, the way you let Yang be Yang is let him talk about UBI. And he fundamentally believed that he could not come out and say, we're going to have $10 billion for UBI. He just didn't believe it was the city's, he, you know, he, it, the federal government can do that. Maybe even there's a way the state government can do closer to that. But he just was, you know, if, if he did everything based on political expediency, you know, he would have come out and said, we're going to have a $5 billion UBI program. And I don't know, we'll figure out how we're going to get the money. And we would have put something together that shows how we can get the money. He just didn't want to do that. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't blame him. I, I, I certainly, I and others pushed for the number to be bigger than it was. He pushed for it to be lower and we got somewhere in the middle where he thought he could live with a program that was like reality based and not just mm-hmm. like a number we were picking out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, um, that was, that was something that we, uh, talked about a lot in the, you know, two months, six weeks before he was running. And even in the weeks after we were running and wanted, he wanted to be true to something that he thought he could stand behind. Um, the, the crime. But, yeah, go ahead. But, but Andrew and I, uh, and Andrew and other people, other kind of top people in the campaign, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't have anything to do with his forward party stuff. And, uh, but, but, you know, ended the campaign in a good place. And, um, you know, uh, I, I'm a fan of his and I hope he does well and stays involved in the city. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about the forward party in a second. But, um, one of the other things about let Yang be Yang, I mean, this sort of dark turn that he seemed to take with, um, you know, the way he talked about homelessness and crime and obviously gun violence was really dominating. And it was, it was, you know, the, the spikes in gun violence were really troubling and there were, you know, just horrific, you know, incident after incident and the numbers were piling up and it was awful. Um, and it was obviously dominating the, the campaign, but he, you know, he took, he took a real turn in his affect, uh, you know, and, and this change, um, that was obviously very notable. Um, again, some of the facts seem to sort of warrant a much more sober conversation, but 
it was a very big shift from, you know, again, to use the cliche sort of like happy warrior to the, you know, whatever, whatever the cliche term might be that he. he well, did. yeah, it, yeah, I think it's hard, it's hard to be a happy warrior when there's kids getting killed on right, that's what, yeah, no. in the Rockaways. Right. Like yeah. that's I think that struck him. Uh, and he was he was angry about I think he was angry about the coverage in the race. I think he was angry about um you know, I think he felt like he had been out since he got into the race talking about his belief that we needed more cops and more cops on subways. And, um, uh, and was it not a take- strategic decision to try to out cop Eric Adams or, or try to compete with Eric Adams on that instead of sticking with more of his real uh, wheelhouse and trying to compete with Catherine Garcia and Maya Wiley for some of their voters? What, 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 well, I don't know. For? Yeah, I, I don't know how. There, there was no way not to talk about public safety. I mean, people, people said to me like, oh, he should be out talking about recovery. I mean, by the way, when the race was about COVID and the city was shut down and we had to reopen and folks weren't vaccinated, Andrew was out talking about getting the city open and bringing the city back in a way that worked um you know, you could just tell that it worked at polling show that it worked focus groups, people on the street, everyone, you know, responded really, really well. Um, once the city opened and it opened a lot faster than I think one would have guessed it would in January. One of the things that happened quickly is crime really for a fairly short period of time also really, really spiked, right? Times Square shootings, kids getting shot on their, on their, on their front porch. Um, and so when Andrew would go out and do a press conference about, uh, you know, the Cross Prospect Expressway on a Monday afternoon, four weeks, five weeks before the the election, just no one cared. I mean, no one. I mean, again, keep in mind the the, the the you know what I just said about the Post, the Daily News, and the Times, and they like they just didn't care. The, the, the Poster wasn't going to cover it. The Times wasn't going to cover like the Cross Bronx Expressway story. Um, the Daily News probably not, may, maybe, but probably not. And so, who's listening to you talk about the Cross Bronx Expressway? Do you know what gets covered? Crime gets covered. Yeah, right. Crime's going to yeah. crime's going to be on the front page. Uh, because that's what people are scared about. That's what people are worried about. So you go out and talk about your Cross Bronx Expressway story and either, and this is what happened. Like he went out and talked about the Cross Bronx with Richie Torres uh, in, I think, mid-May and no one covered it. It just was like it never happened. Now, maybe that's on us. We could have been more creative. And we certainly were, I think, pretty creative, especially the first few months, going to baseball games, going to openings, going to the movie night, the first day of movies and doing stuff that kept him, you know, out there talking about the city reopening. It was just a different, you know, May and June were just different. There was a different atmosphere. The city was open and people, unfortunately, crime was the dominant issue. And we were dealing with a media narrative and a a media landscape that was just, you know, two, two hands tied behind your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, I have more to ask you, but we're, we're, we're already, we're, we're getting on in our conversation here. We could talk for hours, obviously, but, um, what do you make of, of him leaving? You know, you're, you're, you're someone who's worked for Mike Bloomberg. So I don't, I, you know, the idea of Andrew Yang, uh, leaving the democratic party and, you know, becoming an independent. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Democrat. I'm I know a you're a Democrat. Democrat. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I worked for Mike who I think most people, uh, a is now a Democrat, but, but I think also, um, so, um, you know, I, I, 
Andrew's, uh, you know, I don't, I, I haven't talked to Andrew about the Ford party, um, but it's not, uh, it's not something that I'm helping him with or anything, but uh, yeah. He said if he had won, he was still going to do this. I just don't know. You didn't know that? I believe that he, I, I don't think he's lying about that. I believe but he you didn't believes know that. that. He didn't talk I, about that. So the one thing I knew was that he had written a book that, um, that was coming out at some point after the Bears race. And my understanding on the book was that he thought there should be more political parties. Now that is, is, uh, different than I'm leaving this party to start a party, or I'm going to leave the democratic party. Um, I think it, you know, who, who knows Ben, what, what actually would have happened. Like if he had won and was the democratic nominee and was getting, you know, and, had won the the primary, you know, it may not have been as easy as he thinks it was to to turn around and say, actually, I'm going to leave. Right? He would have had a general election. Uh, he could have had a challenger on the left. I, mean, I just don't know. Maybe he wouldn't have. Maybe he would have. Um, and I think it would have been much harder in practice to try to leave at that point. Um, and I'm not sure. Like, I assume the book still would have come out. I, I don't know. Um, you know, we, we, I think the book was supposed to come out in March. Uh, and we made a decision to like punt the book. Like you can't, you can't do a book tour or talk about whatever's in the book while you're running for mayor. I don't know that we wouldn't have made a decision in November. Like guys, like we, we're not doing a book tour while we're building our government. Like let's, let's do the book next year. Uh, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, everything, you know, now, including this new book and, and his, his decision here, do you look at all this? Do you look at the race and you still think he was the best choice for mayor in the primary? Yeah. I mean, I still, I ran, I was, I was his campaign manager and I'm proud of the race that we ran. We didn't win. Uh, I think we did some things really well. Um, people chose Eric Adams and I'm a New Yorker first and I'm going to vote for Eric next week or whenever early voting starts and hope he does really, really well. I've been super impressed so far with uh, with what he's done. And I'm looking forward to watching him in action. All right. I'm going to get your, your quick hot takes on a couple other subjects. Um, but, but last question on the mayoral race, um, what really, other than some of the things we've talked about, was there anything we haven't mentioned that really mattered in how it, the primary turned out? So the focus on the of the race on policing, uh, some of the media coverage. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the Scott, the, 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 story, the uh, right. Scott the Scott story was a big moment in the race. Um, the Times for Garcia. The Times for Garcia. You know, I think AOC for Maya ended mm-hmm. up being a big thing. It you know, Diane Diane Morales's staff issues be, be, became uh, a boon for for Maya. That certainly mm-hmm. mattered some. Um, you know, someone asked what you know. I think the Times Square shooting which we already talked about mm-hmm. was, was a really big deal. It, it kind of changed the narrative uh, and, and reinforced that crime was a lot worse than uh, a, a bigger issue than folks thought. Right. And I, you know, I'll add, you know, the, the sort of labor uh, support for Adam seemed to be pretty significant. And, you know, he also had by far uh, well, at least compared to Garcia and Wiley, a lot more money spent on his behalf, both from the campaign and outside um, all right. 
race for governor coming up, what, um, what are you watching for? Is it just, you know, let's see if Tish James runs and that's the biggest question. Any other things? I mean, obviously there's the Andrew Cuomo. Will, would he run? I don't think that's happening, but I could be wrong. Uh, what are you, what are you watching here and how strong do you think Kathy Hochul is? Um, well, I think she's strong. I think she's done a good job. And what we, you know, remember we just talked about in terms of who you're compared to, right? So she's going to be compared to Andrew Cuomo, um, who, um, you know, certainly the press corps and, you know, insider folks uh, were uh, very much over by the time he left, right? And now even more so with the um, with the scandals. So, you know, her, it, it's, it's easier. You, you get a honeymoon when you take office, um, especially when you take office like that. I mean, David Patterson, who had his share of troubles, had a had a decent honeymoon. I don't remember exactly how long, but it was you know six, seven, eight months. Well, if Kathy Hochul gets six, seven, or eight months, she's going to be reelected um, handily. So then the question is, um, the, the, so I think that is in her favor. I think they're raising a lot of money. Uh, you know, she's the governor, so that's the incumbency matters a lot. She rolled out Emily's list, the governor's association, you know, that stuff matters. Um, and then really then the next question is Tish, because I think it's just a different race. If Tish is in the race, the polling that come out. So here's one thing I'd say the polling that's come out, the one I looked at yesterday, and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember which one it was, but, um, governor Hochul got 35% of black voters. Um, and as someone who, used to poll 35% of black voters in the mayoral primary running against a popular black opponent, I can assure you that it's very, very challenging for Governor Hochul to actually get 35% of black voters. So, um, you know, I think that's a, a little bit of a warning sign, like you've got to figure out. So if, if Tish runs, and this is true of Jumaane too, it's just that I would think that Tish has uh, a bigger, a, big, a higher ceiling, I think. Um, if Tish runs, you have to assume that Governor Hochul is is not going to do particularly well in the black community. That Tish will do well in the black community. Now, again, if Jumaane's in there too, then that's a different story. Then Jumaane and Tish are going to you know, cross each other out in some ways or split split the black vote, which makes it really hard. Um, but let's assume for a second Jumaane drops and it's basically Tish and Hochul, maybe de Blasio. And, and then I think Swazi matters, right? Mm -hmm. Because if Hochul can win upstate and Long Island uh, and then do well in kind of Garcia land, um, she should still be able to win. Uh, if Swazi runs and does really well in Long Island, um, then all of a sudden it's like, well, she's winning upstate and she's winning some of Garcia land. I don't think that's enough. Mm. Um, she needs to be able to, you know, and then, so Tish to me is the biggest X factor so far. I do think the governor's done a really nice job, um, and has built a solid team, uh, and they're kind of off and running and you have to think because of the money, because of the press narrative, because of her uh, being in the incumbent, that it's certainly advantage, uh, Hochul, but Tish is a really strong opponent. Uh, and if she runs uh, and she is the only major black candidate in the race, she's going to do well. And then it's just a question of, of how well. If Tish doesn't run, I don't know. I just don't, I don't, like, I don't see Bill de Blasio uh, or Steve Barone or whatever his name is. Sorry. Um, like, I just, yeah, I just, yeah. I don't see it, you know? And, and, and now if Jamani stays in, 
uh, and it's Jamani and Swazi and Steve Ballone and Hochul, you know, that's a, that's a more serious race. I still think, um, I, I still think Hochul probably can, can pull that out. Um, but you know, Jamani got 48% in, uh, in 2018 and, um, he'll need to raise money, which will be a challenge, but that'll be a race. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, you know, Tish, Tish James would be a, a, a much, much, much uh, stronger opponent against Kathy Hochul than, than Jamani Williams, just for, you know, some of the reasons you said and, and having, you know, one and statewide. And obviously, I mean, the prominence of some of the reports she's put out and taking on, you know, Trump and some of these things as attorney general, you know, really boost your, your profile in a democratic primary. So, um, so whatever Kathy Hochul might be, might be able to do to keep Tish James out of the race. I don't know what, 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 what is she, uh, what, what kind of tricks can someone pull to, to try to keep someone out of a race they don't want them in? Oh, you could say you're running for one term. Ah, I mean it. Interesting. Right. I mean, I, I, you could say this is it. I mean, I think I, I'm sure if you're Tish James, she was not planning on running now. Right. When Governor Cuomo was there, I, I think she was planning on she, she likes sure. being attorney general. Sure. And so um, she probably was thinking, well, governor will run for another term. I'll run for another term and then I'll run in 2026. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's probably faced with like, well, if I don't run now, then, you know, how am I going to beat Hochul four years from now when she's had seven, when she's had five years as governor? Um, so one way could be, you know, you announce that you're running for one term and you but, but again, you have to believe that. Right. Right. I mean, I, I've seen that version on other stuff where a politician goes to another politician and says like, I promise if I do this, I'm not going to run for this. And it's like, I don't know how many times I've seen that just not happen, right. Or fall through or the person changes their mind or um, something. And the other thing I think what Kathy's doing is she's going out, you know, getting Emily's list, uh, you know, they support women. So now they've announced they're going to support Kathy Hochul. You know, if you get labor, if you start getting hotel trades or BJ or the teachers or histor- historically folks that are with Tish, um, it's hard for some of those folks to, to turn away from the sitting governor. Right. And so if I were Kathy Hochul, Governor Hochul, I would be trying to figure out how do I lock down as many of these labor unions as I can, if that's going to help keep her out of the race. Um, but, you know, Tish knows what she's doing, too, and she has a long history of working with those folks. It's not going to be easy to, you know, it, it, it'll be that'll be a, a, a tough a, a, she'll be working those folks, too. Very interesting. All right, Chris Coffey, thanks so much for all the time and thoughts. It was really good to finally catch up and, and look back and look ahead. And uh, and thanks very much for the time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate right. it.